Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Today is July 13th, 2022, and our first story... Biden bizarrely cites a poll showing Democrats don't want him to run as evidence he should run and he's getting roasted for it. And then the fact checks come in and they're like, well, he's only mostly wrong. And it's just wow. Wow. The Democrats seem to be running on nothing. The next story, inflation through the roof at 9.1%. It's shocking. Most voters are terrified of this and are concerned about it. But instead, what do we get? The January 6th hearings. So I talk a bit about that, and I have an op-ed in Newsweek addressing the lies and the smears from the January 6th committee. They lied and smeared me by playing clips of me alongside other individuals to make me look bad. I address that. And in the last story, Elon Musk gets roasted by Donald Trump. This one's actually really funny, and he's also now involved in a lawsuit. Twitter is suing him, and it's all about the memes. It's actually pretty funny. If you like the show, give us a good review, leave us five stars, and share the show with your friends. Now, let's get into that first story. It's almost not even news. I don't even know why I'm starting this segment by talking about Joe Biden's broken brain, but I guess that's the big story right now. Biden bizarrely cites poll that most Democrats don't want him to run in 2024 as evidence he should. A journalist asked the president, what do you say to these polls showing what is it? Only like 26 percent of Democrats say he should run again. And he goes, the the, the polls show I should run again. Take a look at the polls, Jack. You know, this man is ignorant, deluded and dangerous. He doesn't know what's going on in the world. He's not paying attention. He doesn't know where he is. He falls up the stairs. And it's just how many times do we talk about something like this with Joe Biden? Now, the best part is they've run fact checks on this. And one of the fact checks is like, actually, some people do want Joe Biden. If you're comparing him to Donald Trump, maybe. Okay, sure. President cites figure that 92 percent of Democrats would favor him over Trump, ignoring less supportive statistics which is probably why Elon Musk and many others, including myself, have said maybe Ron DeSantis is the better choice because Ron DeSantis versus Joe Biden, hands down victory. Right now, we have a Gallup poll showing us what do American voters truly care about? And with massive inflation at 9.1%, yo, I'm freaking out. I know you guys are probably freaking out watching this. I run a successful company. I'm looking at what we have to do to maintain the salaries of people to maintain this company, our costs, when we're looking at 9.1% inflation. And it's freaky. It really is. When the market dips, when the recession hits, if we fall into a depression, everyone will be in trouble. That's my concern. And for your average working class American, it is their active concern because they can't even afford to fill up their gas tank to go drive to work. Now, I'm in a privileged position. I have a successful company, so we're looking at electric vehicles trying to offset those costs. And what do we get from these politicians? Let them drive electric cars. Yo, I know 
The average person cannot just go out and buy a $50,000 electric car. That's what Americans care about. But instead, what do we get from the Democrats? We get January 6th. I saw one tweet. Uh, fact check me on this one. I couldn't, I couldn't find greater details. But they're saying that Democrats said they didn't have time to get an inflation in their morning meeting because uh, they were talking about other things. And it's like, what? what? The most important thing in the minds of Americans right now is the, is the economy, gas prices, inflation. When you look at the Gallup polling, hyper-partisanship, unifying the country, police brutality, abortion, these don't register for regular people, which is why I think no. There's no way Joe Biden is going to win, at least based on what's happening right now. Now, granted, it's an eternity from now until the actual election in 2024 for president. But this says a lot about what may come in November. Surprisingly, Fox News is a story about a shock poll. Democrats are closing the gap with Republicans and have been. Roe v. Wade being overturned really did make a difference. That lit a fire under the activist base of Democrats. Now, what about regular working class people, be it Democrats, independents or Republicans? Sorry, this doesn't register all that much. But Democrats just need a boost of people who are going to go out and vote and they'll take whatever they can get. While most people might not care about abortion, they can still gain votes by pandering to those issues. And although they may not care, according to Gallup, 538 has a poll showing that Democrats actually do care a whole lot about political extremism which may be the data Democrats are chasing when it comes to the January 6 hearings. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have been able to uh, write up my thoughts, a rather short article for Newsweek. Newsweek reached out and said, can you write an article calling out the January 6 committee for putting you next to some of these other people? And I said, yes. And I went pretty ham. Truth be told, they were like, we got to shorten it because I was like on the verge of writing a book. I'm like, oh, you want me to write about drone? I started writing up and they're like, let's just keep it to the hearing. And I was like, all right, because all right. I was like civil war. And, you know, basically what I was saying is when Raskin published this clip showing me alongside individuals talking about a red wedding and I'm reading an article, it's disinformation and it radicalizes people. They're fanning the flames on purpose. This is the important point. As we're looking at Joe Biden's bizarre statements, as we're looking at what Americans really care about, and we see the data from 538 saying Democrat, Democrat voters are worried about extremism, I call upon the stories that, sh that, that said Democrats were actually funding far-right or Trump-supporting candidates because they think they're easier targets. They are funding what they claim is destroying this country. They are pushing disinformation to radicalize people. And that is the scary reality. They are trying to gain votes, not based on what the American people need, but by scaring them, by shocking them, by lying to them. So let's talk about it. We'll get started with um, doofy Joe Biden bizarrely citing these polls because, well, you know, that's the big news. And then we'll talk about my thoughts on where we're headed this election. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com and become a member to support our work. As a member, you'll get access to exclusive shows like Tales from the Inverted World. The first two episodes were free, but these are, we've really ramped up production. We've got a 40 minute to hour long uh, uh, series here, and it's going to be going exclusive for TimCast.com for paying members because we want to do more and um, we need money to do it. 
To be completely honest, we can't just uh, produce shows for free, but we're going to produce a whole lot. We've got uh, a show, a weekly talk show with Shane Cashman. We're going to be talking about the paranormal, ghosts, unsolved mysteries. You'll, of course, get the TimCast After Hours show, which is uncensored. We might just call it TimCast Uncensored or, you know, that's the show Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. and many more shows to come. And if you want to support our journalists who are calling out the lies every day, we need your support. We need your support. I'm going to I'm going to extend this a little bit and just be blunt with you guys. Our news division and shows, they cost money. We don't make anything off of them. Timcast.com's news apparatus only exists if people become members. We aren't running ads. We don't want to. We want to run. Well, we want to run ads on our stuff. But the reality is the only thing that really makes money is uh, Timcast, uh, the podcast. However, the website itself does have many members who support the news. So our news apparatus exists if you become members and want to pay for it, but it's all free because I don't think we can put the news behind a paywall. We're going to be doing more with new shows. We need your support. Let's jump to the news. So don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to this channel and share the show with your friends. Here's the story from The Independent. Biden bizarrely cites poll that most Democrats don't want him to run in 2024 as evidence he should. U.S. President Joe Biden misrepresented a recent poll that showed most Democrats don't want him to run for office again, arguing the party does, in fact, support him. Well, here's the fact check from Newsweek. I love it. Do Biden's polls show Democrats want him to run in 2024? Here's what they say. The cost of living crisis, gun control and abortion rights have dominated headlines over the past few months. Biden's approval ratings have in recent weeks fallen behind the levels former President Donald Trump experienced at the same point in his presidency. However, this week, Biden fiercely rebuked the challenges to his popularity among Democrats, insisting he had the support of his party. Here's the tweet from Ben Gittleson. Biden tells me that despite most Democrats saying they don't want another candidate, most would still vote for him if he ran. Here we go. Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run Okay, apparently the audio has ceased to function properly for whatever reason, so I'll just read more. Uh, The feelings of unsteadiness around the Democratic Party have been undeniable in recent weeks. It uh, it is in this context that Biden confronted ABC News' Ben Gittleson, as the reporter suggested to him two-thirds of Democrats did not want him to run for president. The figures are broadly accurate. The poll run by the New York Times Santa College show 64% of those who said they would vote in the Democratic primary would nominate a different person. However, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That 64% figure includes voters registered as Republican or independent other. Some states require prospective voters to be registered as Democrat to vote in the Democratic primary. Nonetheless, even among registered Democratic voters, just 29% surveyed said they would pick him to run again. Biden in the video post on Twitter claims the poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. Uh huh. It is true that 92% of Democrats surveyed said they would vote for Biden in an election. However, the respondents were asked if, if uh, on the condition that the election were held today and the options were between Joe Biden and Donald Trump another candidate, or not going to vote, wouldn't vote if those would be the choices. Here's what Newsweek said. 
They didn't give him the hard red false. They gave him the orange mostly false. The New York Times poll found that 92% of Democratic voters would support Biden if it were against. Oh, come on. That's not what he asked. What he said was, how do you respond to these polls? And this is the dirty game. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Right now over at Predict It, Gavin Newsom has 21%-ish. It doesn't translate perfectly. 21 cent. 21 cents. Uh, are the share is the share price for Gavin Newsom to be president. Now, Joe Biden does have the plurality with 34 cents. Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg have double digits as well. People not only don't want Joe Biden to run, they actually don't even know if it will be him. To put it simply, 66 percent of people on Predict It are not betting on Joe Biden. Take that uh, for what it is and take it with a grain of salt. I mean, look, it's still it's still Joe Biden as the lead. I don't think he can win. Now, when it comes to the Republican presidential nomination, Donald Trump at 42 with Ron DeSantis at 36. OK, so, you know, Donald Trump still has the plurality, but not the majority. Many people think it will be Ron DeSantis and he's gaining up to now Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Glenn Youngkin There's people with single digits, but their overwhelming majority of people are either Trump or DeSantis. We'll see. I think the issues are clear. While the Democrats are screaming about nonsense like January 6th, that's literally what they're doing. According to Gallup, the most important problem that Americans are concerned with, high cost of living. So they say, what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? In June of 2022, economic problems, 40%. Among net economic problems, you have 66%. So it may be that there are a wide range of issues, but what takes the plurality? The big issues, two big issues. When asked on on economic issues, the high cost of living at 18%, followed by the economy in general at 13%. So we're looking at around 31% saying in some ways it is the cost of living and the economy in general. You do have fuel prices at 5%, which is surprisingly low, to be completely honest. But lack of money, unemployment, they're all microscopic. Now, we do see the government and poor leadership at 18% as well, rivaling the high cost of living. That I find interesting. Gun controls at 8%, crime and violence, 6%, immigration, 5%. Unifying the country, 5%. Race relations, 3 Take a look at this. School shootings is 2%. Healthcare is 2%. As the most important issue. Why are Democrats jumping on top of this stuff? I don't know. I don't know, but I have some ideas. You'd think the best thing they could do, they could do was it would address what 31% of people are concerned about. Let's just say 30, 36. You say fuel prices, the economy, and the high cost of living. That can all be addressed in one speech. You can say, we got to get fuel prices down, which will bring down the cost of living and improve the economy. Boom. One sentence right there addresses 36 percent of the of, of the people's most pressing issue of the most pressing issue to 36 percent of people. But what are you going to do? You're going to do a well, let's talk about bad leadership on gun control and violence and immigration and unifying the country and ethics to try and get anywhere near that number. Here's what I think. When you jump over to 538, this is fascinating. This is a poll from May. You can see that among basically everybody, the biggest issue is inflation or increasing costs. For Democrats, surprisingly, it's only 42%. That's weird. Why? 
Share of Americans by political affiliation who said each issue was among the most important facing the country. 42% said inflation and increasing costs was among the most important facing the country. So this poll is a bit different. They're not saying what is the most pressing issue. They, they say, how would you rate these issues among the most pressing? Or would you rate them among the most pressing? Only 42% of Democrats think the inflation is. Well, that's actually simple. According to several polls, a story reported by Vox.com six years ago, the Democrats have become the party of the elites, of the wealthy. So these are suburban, middle and upper middle class individuals. Of course, they're like, I don't know, I'm not worried about rising costs. I make money. Among Republicans, blue collar workers, what do you see? Well, among Republicans, it's actually way more prominent. I don't think it's it's not giving me the Republican number for whatever's and there we go. Among Republicans, 65% believe that increasing costs is among the most pressing issue. Now, political extremism and polarization comes in among Republicans at 25%. For Democrats, it comes in at 32%. Independent and other, they view the economy at 50% and political extremism and polarization at 30%. So here's what I think is happening. The Democrats aren't trying to win the majority. They're just trying to win enough. And they can pull from any pool they want. So look, you may be saying the biggest issue is inflation. Shouldn't they go after it? They could. But the question is, who will be most animated? I think the Democrats know they can't fix the economy. They can't improve the economy. So there's no point in trying. What they do know is that they can use scary pictures and show Democrats Rile them up, get them all radicalized and scream and beat them over the head that the end is nigh, that evil Donald Trump tried to stage a coup. Even if people don't really care, I think that's their game plan. We have this story from John uh, from Axios about John Bolton. John Bolton says he helped plan foreign coups. It is one of the most insane stories I have ever seen. The narrative is crumbling. The neocons are coming out and just saying it. And this one got the left and the right both going, what? And boy, did they try to backpedal here. John Bolton served as a national security advisor to Trump. One of Trump's biggest mistakes. I've said it over and over again. It's one of the reasons I didn't like what Trump did as president. And John Bolton, well, he betrayed Trump, smearing him and attacking him. But right now, Bolton is uh, kind of defending him a little bit while still propping up January 6th. Driving the news, Bolton on CNN rejected the notion that January 6 was a carefully planned coup. That's not the way Donald Trump does things. It's rambling from one idea to another, one plan that falls through and another comes up. I agree. I do. Ultimately, he did unleash the riders in the Capitol. As to that, there's no doubt. As somebody who's helped plan coup d'etat, not here, but other places, it takes a lot of work and that's not what he did. Wow. Although he said he wouldn't go into specifics in which countries he's assisted coups in, he noted he'd written in his books about efforts in Venezuela to end Nicolas Maduro's regime that turned out not to be successful. Not that we had all that much to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I saw what it took for an opposition to try and overturn an illegally elected president, and they failed, Bolton said. The notion that Donald Trump was half as competent as the Venezuelan opposition is laughable. Okay, well, I kind of agree with a lot of what he said there, but wow, for him to come out and be like, as someone who's planned coup d'etat, basically um, confirming what many activists have said. Here's the best part. He outright admitted it, 
And then David Frum comes out and he's like, the next time Glenn Greenwald is caught carrying Steve Bannon's luggage, blah, 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 he's going to invoke Bolton's misplaced joke. It's amazing. He says, uh, uh, security advisors should measure their words and avoid cynical jokes that give aid and comfort to those who do not wish this country well. Ha, ha, ha. Boy, the cat is out of the bag. The narrative is crumbling. Conspiracy, they cry. And then Epstein dies in his jail cell. And Ghislaine Maxwell is convicted. Conspiracy. Ladies and gentlemen, they're coming out and admitting it. But anyway, I digress. I just wanted to really find a way to jam in that John Bolton is a moron. And he came out and admitted this. But there is a real issue here, a real segue, as it were. John Bolton praised the January 6th committee, saying they're doing a good job. And this is the narrative that we're getting. Yo, it's falling apart. To be, to be completely honest, that's what I see. It's falling apart. Here's the story from the New York Times. It's just been hell. Life as the victim of a January 6th conspiracy theory. Ray Epps became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea that the FBI was, in the, FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. Um, so this guy, he's on video advocating for people to insurrect. Why hasn't he testified? Why haven't they played his clips? Why have they defended him? Seriously. Why is it that Adam Kinzinger comes out and says, Ray Epps, he didn't do anything. He cooperated. So he's not involved. Yo, the guy incited riot and people were chanting fed at him. I don't think he's a fed. I don't know. I don't have evidence to say he is. I'm just saying maybe he cooperated. But this guy wasn't charged. Of all the people that should be, this guy's on camera telling people to go in the Capitol. So why not? Why not? And then the New York Times runs this puff piece, defending him as a victim. Here's why I bring this up. I got an op-ed published in Newsweek that I'd like to uh, highlight because it plays into a lot of what we're seeing. You know, uh, I want to add to this op-ed some other ideas that ultimately didn't make the cut because you know, op-ed should be succinct, get to the point and explain it. But I'll, but I'll give you the gist of it and then read what I, what I said. The gist is, Raskin, Jamie Raskin, who ran the clip, is lying to you, misrepresenting who I am, what I believe, what I've said, what I've advocated for. And he's doing it because he wants to pull voters. That's my opinion. He doesn't want Trump to win. He wants the Democrats to win. And while people are really concerned about inflation, they know they can't win there because they've already lost there. So the next best thing, according to 538, is political extremism, for which they fan the flames. Raskin published a clip of me alongside people calling for a red wedding or something. Well, I was just reading a news article. Now, I addressed this yesterday. Here's the story from Newsweek. I'll give you the gist of it. Well, I, sh- I should read it because I, I you know, I, 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 with help from their editors, I, I wrote it and it was a rather succinct, succinct. So here's, here, let, me, let me read it for you. During this week's January 6th committee hearings, I was surprised to find myself included in the evidence. I was even more surprised to see myself misrepresented by members of the United States Congress. During Tuesday's televised hearing, Rep. Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Maryland, from Maryland, mind you, Tried to connect then-President Donald Trump's tweet calling his... I should go to his office and go talk to him. I'm in, I'm in Maryland. Tried to connect then-President Donald Trump's tweet calling his supporters to come to a rally in Washington on January 6th with the violent attack that later unfolded. In response to Trump's tweet that the protests would be wild, 
Trump supporters responded immediately, Raskin said. Meanwhile, other key Trump supporters, including far right media personalities, began promoting the wild protest on January 6th. That's what he's saying, including me. As proof that right wing media personalities were promoting the wild protest, Rep Raskin played a video. It featured three people promoting the protest with gusto. It also included a video of me simply reading out a news report that the protest was likely to happen, noting that Trump and his supporters viewed it as Trump's last stand and concurring with the president that it was likely to get wild. I even in the segment uh, from December 19th went on to say that the Proud Boys had engaged in violence, tearing down a banner and burning it, criticizing the violence and saying it was like Antifa, saying that numerous times. And people got mad at me on the right. But did he include any of that? No. I said, in what way is reporting the news the equivalent of promoting it? Nowhere in the clip that Rep Raskin played or even in the full 30 minute long podcast that I did, did I ever encourage anyone to go to D.C., let alone engage in any kind of violent protest. The opposite is the case. I have condemned political violence hundreds of times on my show, Timcast IRL, like I did on January 6th itself after the violence had unfolded. There is a link to the video we made, episode 197. I can't believe it was that long ago. Wow where uh, uh, we discussed, and there's a timestamp in this, outright saying it was wrong. We've always said it wrong. We mock those who are violent. On my nightly show, I've routinely said that violence does not work. It was one of my main takeaways from the collapse of support for Black Lives Matter following the George Floyd riots. Back in September of 2020, I pointed out that Antifa's violence had gone a long way toward erasing BLM's PR gains from earlier in the year. It's up on Twitter, September 17th, 2020. I show the polls. I've routinely cited that metric. In the lead up to January 6th, I made the same point. Violence will solve nothing. And if January 6th is expected to be violent, people should not go. And I certainly would not be going. My company initially intended to interview people in D.C. on January 6th. But after warnings of disruptions from our hotel, we decided to avoid D.C. on that day, just as I advised my followers. That's right. Now, I had said uh, pre, like, you know, I can't, in the months leading to January 6th that we were going to be there, that we intended to be there. We were going to get a hotel and maybe do the show in DC to interview people who were there to protest. Protests are legal. No one had any idea it would be as bad as it was. When we got word that, uh, the hotel said there's, uh, disruptions, I tweeted about it. And then we said, we're not going because there was a high alert. I had said the one thing that would stop me from going, if there was actually going to be violence, as I've long stated, it doesn't work. I don't want to be involved in it. And people shouldn't be. Not only that, but I barely qualify as a Trump supporter. I, I think that's a fair point. I do think I do qualify as a Trump supporter. That's why I said barely. Trump's most ardent fans give me a lot of grief for insisting on calling out his flaws. They use a variety of homophobic slurs to denigrate me. I think it's funny. I don't care. I did proudly vote for Trump in 2020, and I explained why I thought he was the better option given the choices. Still playing the clip of me alongside Alex Jones and other ardent pro-Trump personalities is well over the top. It's probably why in response to the video clip of me played during the hearing, conservative and libertarian personalities on Twitter mocked the notion that I'm a pro-Trump YouTuber or that I ever in any way encourage people to engage in violence or protest in support of Donald Trump. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over and by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So what was the point of including me in the clip? Why omit my previous statements and sentiments on the election, on Trump having lost the election to Biden, on why people should not be violent? Maybe Rep Raskin didn't personally select the videos in the montage he showed, but someone did. Someone included video footage of me, a person who condemns violence, reading a headline in a lineup of other people calling for a red wedding and for people to kick down the door. Someone made the decision to create a context around my innocuous words that would color them with the opposite meaning of what I always say. Why? Because that's what our political climate is designed to do these days. Escalate. Assassinate your opponent's character. Smear everyone you disagree with as as a violent insurrectionist. To our political establishment, reasonable people you disagree with seem to present even more danger than the violent fringe, because we make it seem like debate is still possible. This year, my company has been swatted eight times. People have called the police claiming active shooters at my studio. They've also made bomb threats and even sent us a package that required the bomb squad to be deployed. My private home was swatted twice and our studio was evacuated only a few weeks ago during our live show after we received a credible death threat. When you consider that swattings have resulted in people being killed and that my staff has been held at gunpoint by police, you begin to see the threat posed by radicalization and the spread of disinformation. This is something I think everyone agrees on, but refuses to acknowledge their role in. It's hard for me to see what played out on Tuesday's hearings in any other light. After Rep Raskin played out, played the out of context clip of me, I was inundated on Twitter with harassment as my name started trending. People immediately started posting exaggerated and fabricated claims about me, citing the hearing as evidence of other insane conspiracy and conspiracy theories on par with the lunacy of QAnon. I can certainly respect the desire to figure out how January 6 happened, how it got so bad then and why our political climate continues to get worse. I can respect the demand to hold those who made it happen accountable. I also want to have an inquiry inquiry into the riots on May 29th, 2020, to understand how left-wing rioters breached the White House barricades, how they were able to set fire to the famous St. John's Church, and why the president was forced into an emergency bunker. But that's not what happened on Tuesday. On Tuesday, a clip of me cut from context was publicized on national television in a way that was designed to assassinate my character, to create fear and to radicalize. And will make it harder for me to expose my audience to views across the political spectrum. On my show, we have hosted conservatives, libertarians, liberals, progressives, and even celebrities. But this clip poisons the well, making it that much harder to have a real conversation among Americans who otherwise would agree on so many issues. So that was the the, the gist of the op-ed. I wanted to include a lot more, but we needed to keep it succinct. But here's the ultimate point I make to you now. Why did they include this clip of me? I don't know. They didn't need it. It didn't do anything. All they did was smear me. Perhaps the issue is that Timcast IRL is a popular show that gets millions of views per day across the board, that my network gets uh, 60 or so million views across YouTube and and podcast networks, and that we are not like Steve Bannon or Alex Jones. We are not suspended or banned from YouTube or any of these public places, and that's bad for them because debate still does happen. But here's what I posit to you. Here's what I present to you. While they smear me and put me alongside people they claim are inciting, when all I did was read a news article, Ray Epps is nowhere to be found. The man who stood on the ground in D.C. the night before and incited people to action. So what is this? It's a game. It's lies. And this is why I say, how could anything other than civil war be heading our way? Perhaps I should I should write something longer. I wanted to write a lot longer. And um, the initial draft I had did mention prominent personalities like a professor, uh, a professor from Princeton University citing the Cold Civil War, Stephen Marsh. 
And my extended point, which admittedly was verbose and off topic, it was it was getting into like a little bit longer than the January 6th hearing. So I can respect to not including it was that after all of this, at the end of this, this op ed, there's more. Why include all of this and why make it harder for me to bring on personalities to have these discussions? I think the issue is that Democrats know they're losing. The only thing they care about is, is clinging to power. Republicans don't have to do much right now because they're on track to gain power. Because according to Gallup, Americans believe the Republicans are better poised to fix the economy and help solve their problems. So why would Raskin do this? Well, he has no idea what he's talking about, nor does he care. He would present disinformation and lies to smear my character in an effort to make it easier for him to win and for his allies to win. Not realizing the radicalization is leading to real world violence, which is why I included the swattings. Now, look, I'm not here to claim victim status or anything like that. I'm here to point to the larger problem. It just so happens this time it involves me. Democrats in their quest for power will smear anyone regardless of the consequences, which have nearly resulted in me and my staff being killed. We are lucky that we are not just some small house. When the police arrived at the first swatting, our employees were held at gunpoint. I don't blame the police for being lied to, but that could have gone bad fast. And then you get people like Raskin doing exactly what these fringe lunatics do. I shouldn't say fringe. These are prominent Democrat activists posting misinformation and sharing it, smearing me, taking me. You know, there's clips of me quoting someone else. They'll attribute to me. In fact, that's what this was. January 6th, the committee showed a video of me reading a news article that cited Donald Trump and me paraphrasing Trump and Trump supporters to make it seem like I was calling for action. The Independent ran a story that said Tim Pool urged people to go to D.C. Quite the opposite. I didn't even go. And I've routinely stated, as I did in 2020, well before this happened, violence does not work. I've said it then. I said it on January 6th, as evidenced by the clip in the article from uh, episode 197 of Timcast IRL. And I say it again now and since then. When you get violent, regular people don't know. They get scared. They don't want violence. We are in fourth and fifth generational warfare, information warfare. Going down and rioting solves nothing. And we mocked those on January 6th saying, what made you think standing in a building was going to give you any political power? It's not the 1600s, dude. No, what gives you power is winning hearts and minds. And that's the dangerous game the Democrats are playing. That's why they lied, because Raskin is an evil person. Now, it's either overt, malicious evil or the banality of evil. Raskin could have watched the segment that I that I that I uh, from this where this clip came. He didn't. In the clip. Sure, I'm mad at the left. I say Antifa has gotten away with this stuff. I say it's possible it gets wild and potentially could be violent. That's bad. Nowhere did I say people should go anywhere. Nowhere did I say people should do anything. In fact, I warned that it could could be violent and even showed quotes from an MSNBC presenter saying Trump supporters would get violent. And I said it wouldn't be random, though. It would be militias. It would be the Proud Boys. Isn't that me just saying something bad was coming? That's not me telling people to do anything. They played that clip of me alongside people telling people to do things. Raskin doesn't care. These people don't care. 
It's the harsh reality. These people don't care about what is true. They don't care about the clips. They don't. That's why the January 6 hearings are non-adversarial. So let me wrap it all together. Joe Biden, he says they want people, people want him to run. Sure. I'll tell you what we do see. The Democrats seem to be chasing after issues that no one really cares about. Why? They're trying to make voters, not win voters. And that's the point of smearing me. That's the point of January 6. They want to stop Trump from running. And they want to convince people that there is a real threat among the far right. It's disgusting. And these people are evil. But whatever, man, I'll leave it there. Therein lies the, the, the true issue. Ray Epps doesn't testify. He's the victim, says New York Times. Well, thank you to Newsweek for publishing my op-ed. Newsweek's been doing a rather good job, in my opinion. They run opinion pieces I think are wrong and, fi- and it's fine. I'm glad that they, they ran this and they allowed me to call out the lies with facts and evidence because we need to give people correct information so they can make the right vote. Joe Biden, I think, ain't it. I'm not saying Donald Trump is. The one thing I think Donald Trump brings to the table is that he'll fire everybody. I'd love to see it. But I've said time and time again, Ron DeSantis is better. But oh, here we go. They're going to play the same game. Ron DeSantis is evil and authoritarian. Yeah, they do that because they don't want to lose. So they would sacrifice this country with lies and disinformation because they don't care about you. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. The numbers are in, and it's apocalyptic. Inflation rose 9.1% in June. Wow. I was planning on doing a segment about inflation because we're uh, preparing for the numbers to come in. Once a month, I deliver the really bad news about how awful inflation really is. And the projection was 8.8. And they were like, it's expected to go up 8.8 with the new CPI report. It's 9.1. The 8.8 Dow, 8.8 Dow Jones estimate. Sorry, it's worse than that. And I got to say, this is on the Democrats and, it, and it's on Joe Biden. Not every element of what's causing inflation is their fault, but a large component of it is. This goes back to the Democrat governors and the actions they took during the lockdowns. It goes back to the mass printing of money, the refusal to stop giving out these checks, the moratorium on eviction. All of it plays a role in why your costs are going to skyrocket. To put it simply, we borrowed from ourselves in the future. That's what we were doing during COVID. Now, was it the wrong move? I think a lot of it was wrong. I think I was wrong. And I think not all of it was, was wrong. It's, it's hard to, to know. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But what I can say is the 9.1% number, which is apocalyptic, it means your, your wages are going down. It means your savings are going down. That number is based on revised inflation uh, calculation. If you go back to 1981 to actually see, is inflation today comparable to what it was like in 1981? You will find that using their calculations, it's actually worse. This may be the worst inflation we have ever seen in this country, except maybe like the early days of the United States when it was really crazy. This could be the worst it's ever been. That means uh, your wages are going down. Borrowing from ourselves in the future is bad for a lot of reasons. This is the, this is the idea. You know, During COVID, they were like, look, just print money, just borrow money and just send it out massively increase the money supply so people can buy stuff today. But that would result in inflation and everyone knew. They're lying saying no one could have predicted this. People predicted it. Here's the issue. Inflation means a permanent decrease in your buying power. 
You borrow from yourself in the future, basically, the U.S. does, so that you can buy food for the next couple of weeks. But this means you will struggle to buy food forever. If you make 15 bucks an hour, inflation is reducing your wages by about $1.30, $1.40. That's your buying power. Take a look at these numbers. It's apocalyptic. Charlie Delello, or Belay, however you pronounce it, says price increase of the last year, as per the CPI report, fuel 98.5%, gasoline 59.9%, gas utilities 38 electricity 13 food at home 12 new cars 11 The overall CPI is 9.1%, transportation is up 8.8%, food away from home 7.7%, used car 7.1%, shelter 5.6%, apparel 5.6%. Here's what I want to talk to you about. The cull, the cull that is coming. And what do I mean by that? I am not trying to insinuate that there is an intentional effort to kill many people on the planet. No, not at all. Um, I'm sure it's in the realm of reality, meaning like there could be nefarious global actors who are like, how do we reduce the population? I know. Let's make them all starve. I don't think it's the case because it requires managerial power that I don't think many of these morons actually have. I think what may be happening is that we have, we, I talked about this a, a bit the other day, and what I want to get into right now is we have a bunch of crazy stories around what's happening with food. And this one, uh, as of yesterday, from Voice of America, Sub-Saharan Africa facing severe food shortage. Inflation is through the roof. I think it's possible we're looking at a natural phenomenon that emerges through hard times. To put it simply, they say the strong must survive. That's the old saying, right? Well, it's not that they must survive. It's that they do survive whether you want them to or not. Uh, If there is a group of people and you have some weak ones and some strong ones and a flood hits, it is likely the strong people survive just because I mean, that's that's natural selection. But what happens when the strong create a strong barrier that protects the weak from the rising floods or the disasters? The weak then survive. And what happens when you have an increasing population of weak people around the world? Well, weak people drag down consume resources and strain the strong people, ultimately causing systemic or economic crises. And then there's a collapse. Look, I'll simplify it further. If one person lives on a farm and they farm and work work hard every single day, sun up to sundown, that person survives. With the extra food they're producing, someone else comes along who doesn't work that hard, but there's food there for them. Eventually, there's a little bit extra. There's always going to be extra food to a certain point. More and more people join the farm or come to the farm, whether they want it or not. And then eventually there's not enough food. Everyone fights, breaks down and fight. They fight over what food is left. The guy who works really hard says, I can't do this anymore and leaves. And then no one has any food. And then those people starve and leave or die. So it's not that the farmer who worked really hard orchestrated starvation. It's that the system became too heavy. Too many weak people weighed the system down until it collapsed. Maybe that's what we're seeing right now. A pandemic. How does a pandemic start? Well, you have a dense population. Uh, a pandemic starts for a variety of, reason, a variety of reasons, but a pandemic spreads among a dense population. You have weak people who don't go outside, who have low vitamin D, and they spread a pandemic. These people freak out and panic because they don't want to work or do anything hard. And so then they strain the system by forcing everyone else to live the way they want. And then the strong people say, I can't do this anymore. Now, I don't think it's orchestrated. I think it's more like a flood came. And the way I described it yesterday is you have a mountain. Strong people climb to the highest point of the mountain. 
supporting themselves and their friends and their families. The weak people can't climb that high and get washed away with the floodwaters. Then the floodwaters eventually go away and all that's left is strong people. In this instance, what we're seeing right now is not necessarily man-made. It is, it is exacerbated by a disaster. Well, depending on who you ask, I guess, COVID. I think it is a phenomenon of weak people weighing down the system, straining it, and then causing death and destruction. So let me show you what's happening around the world with these food shortages. But before we do, food shortages, gas shortages, I'm going to shout out safeandreadymeals.com. Oh, they love to rag on me for promoting safeandreadymeals.com, emergency food kits. But I know many people who have hit me up. There was, uh, there was, like, there, there was flooding. So I've been shouting this out for the past couple of years, and it's an emergency food kit. They have a 25-year shelf life. Uh, you can get your one-month kit. It's 235 bucks. You get a discount when you go to safeandreadymeals.com. I shout this out because I think, look, I'm not telling you to be a prepper and dig a hole in, in the earth to fill it with 30 years worth of beans or anything like that. I'm just saying you've got an emergency first aid kit. You're not a doctor. No, but you have this stuff. You get an emergency food kit in, in case sometimes the road gets clo- uh, roads closed down or the power goes out or whatever, or a hurricane hits, especially depending on where you are. Sometimes it rains. That's why I say, you know, I watched uh, the flood in, in Houston. Right now, I'm telling you, I'll tell you two things. I have a ton of this stuff from safeandreadymeals.com. And it's for two reasons. One, I think there's going to be a food shortage because we see what they're, and, and maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe I'm wrong, but you look at what's happening with Ukraine. You look at what's happening with Russia. They're saying food sources are being depleted. You've got people in sub-Saharan Africa who are already facing food shortages and threats of food shortages and fuel shortages in the U.S. So it'd be good to have some emergency food in the event we do see shortages. More importantly, it's inflation. If groceries have gone up 12%, this thing lasts for 25 years. If you buy it right now, and then a year from now, it's going to cost you 260 bucks to buy the same thing. You're like, I got glad I got it cheap because it lasts 25 years. What's a year? You, you wait two years and now it's going to be up another 12, 20. Who knows how much inflation is going to go up? Go to safeandreadymeals.com. Check it out if you, if you want to get this stuff. I recommend it. But let me, let me show you this from the AP. UN chief warns of cat, a catastrophe from global food shortage. The head of the UN warned Friday the world faces a catastrophe because of the glowing shortage of food around the globe. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the war in Ukraine has added to disruptions caused by climate change, the pandemic, and inequality to produce an unprecedented global hunger crisis, already affecting hundreds of millions of people. He said there is a real risk that multiple famines will be declared in 2022. He said in a video message to officials from dozens of rich and developing countries gathered in Berlin, and 2023 could be even worse. He noted harvests across Asia, Africa, and Americas will take a hit as farmers around the world struggle to cope with rising fertilizer and energy prices. This year's food access issues could become next year's global food shortage. No country will be immune to the social and economic repercussions of such a catastrophe. Voice of America. I showed this already. Sub-Saharan Africa facing severe food shortage already. You know it. Here we go. Germany triggers alert level of emergency gas plan sees high risk of long-term supply shortages. Think it won't come here, my friends. Think we will not be affected? Affected? Here's the fact check that I showed where the AFP tried to smear me. Well, you know what? I guess when you have this many viewers, the media is going to try and call you out. It's a video where I said it was insane for Joe Biden to give a million barrels of our crude away. And they said, no, no, it's wrong. What he's doing is going to help prices. Talk about the, the, the stupidest 
myopic, ridiculous attempt at discrediting a good opinion. Joe Biden did give away our oil. Even they acknowledge that, saying that it was sour crude, which has more sulfur, and it was better used to replace the Russian barrels in Europe. How does that change anything I said? I said it was insane to give our crude away. We should be developing ways to handle dealing with crude. I'm, I'm sorry, sour crude. But anyway, here's the point. They are giving away our oil. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To Europe. At least a little bit. Depleting our strategic reserves. At a certain point, we are being put at risk by this. And the fact check says that I'm wrong. Look, it's, in, in my opinion, if I think Joe Biden shouldn't have done something, how is that a fact check? You just don't like my opinion. But I think it could come here. I want to throw it to our good friend, Bill Gates. Uh, yes, Bill Gates with the uh, uh, article from the World Economic Forum from 2018. Bill Gates has a warning about population growth. They say this is originally in Reuters. Oh, okay. Rapid population growth in some of Africa's poorest countries could put at risk future progress towards reducing global poverty and improving health, according to a report by the Philanthropic Foundation of Bill Gates. Really? Demographic trends show a billion people have lifted themselves out of poverty in the last 20 years. But swiftly expanding populations, particularly in parts of Africa, could halt the decline in the number of extremely poor people in the world, and it may even start to rise. Population growth in Africa is a challenge, Gates told reporters in a telephone briefing about the report's finding. I love this. I love what they wrote here. They're like, we want to reduce global poverty, but poor people being born means we're going to have more poor people. It's like, okay, okay. What are you saying, Bill? That the, the real goal of yours is to reduce poverty and particularly have less poor people in general by like not allowing them to be born? It's a crazy thought to me. Someone born poor shouldn't have been born because they're poor. They say it found that poverty in Africa is increasing, increasingly concentrated in a few countries, which also have among the fastest growing populations in the world. By 2050, it is projected more than 40% of the world's extremely poor people will live in just two countries, the Congo and Nigeria. Asked about the best way of tackling the growing population and poverty challenge, Gates said improving access to birth control was key. And this should be combined with investment in young people's health and education. I find it funny. Telling poor people to bang but not have kids doesn't solve the fact that they're poor. You see what Bill Gates is saying right here? Look, a lot of people think Bill Gates is going out there and being like, we have to kill people. Yeah, well, mm -mm. Look, he's telling you right now what he's doing. He's saying, you're poor. We don't like you poor people. Take this birth control so there won't be more of you. He is not saying, I would like to make you not poor. He is saying, I want to make you less. There's too many of you. And that's enough. According to UN data, Africa is expected to account for more than half of the world's population growth between 2015 and 2050. The population is expected to double by 2050 and could double again by 2100. Wow, what a weird year. Yet if every woman in sub-Saharan Africa were able to have, to have the number of children she wanted, the projected population could be up to 30% smaller. Have the number that she wanted? What does that mean? 
This would also enable more girls and women to stay in school longer, have children later, earn more as adults, and invest more in children. Look, I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about what these people are doing and what their plants are. I can only tell you this. Four years ago, they said, we got too many poor people in Africa. And now, with the food shortage, it is sub-Saharan Africa being hit the most. Now, it's not necessarily, I think, um, what do you say, Nigeria? I I believe those are both sub-Saharan African countries. Um, I could be confusing the geography. I'm not an expert on African geography. I'm like, I think the funny thing, too, is I was reading, uh, I was was using Google Earth. And no, 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 I was on Google Maps. And I was searching for something. And then I can't remember what it was, but it jumped over to Africa for some reason. And I was like, I've never heard of some of these countries. I think that's really funny. I don't know every country on the planet. That's for sure. Here's from the, uh, I'm sorry, this is the wrong one. This is uh, uh, The Economist. Which countries are driving the world's population growth? The UN expects the global population to reach 8 billion in November and to surpass 10 billion this century. It's actually Asia and Oceania. As of right now, the population growth that we are seeing is coming from Asia and Oceania. However, it is projected that Africa is going to overtake all uh, everyone else gradually. Now, by 2100, is it still, it's still going to be the majority, Asian and Oce- uh, Asia and Oceania, having the most uh, children and expanding population. But Africa is growing as well. So what do, you think, what do you think happens with someone like Bill Gates? You know, someone like this who is like, we have a problem with poor people. He's not complaining about Asia. Asia right now, according to The Economist, is the majority of population growth. But Bill Gates doesn't care. Bill Gates did not write an article saying we got too many people in China. He's saying there's too many poor people and it's and it's because of Africa. So his advocacy is reducing population growth in Africa, whereas of right now, it's not even the biggest. That's crazy, isn't it? Kind of obvious what he's saying. He doesn't care if, you know, your society is at a certain threshold. It's almost like he just the, the idea of eliminating poverty is just to eliminate poor people. But I don't I, I, then you'll just have different poor people. Right. Look. Poverty in Africa right now is like wealth in 1900s America. Not completely, but to a certain degree. People look, if you watch, people seem to think that Africa is all like mud huts and like mud roads and things like that. Dude, look at Kenya. It's beautiful. Nairobi, for instance. So there are many cities in Africa, but but, but don't get me wrong, there, there is abject poverty in Africa. And that's probably what Bill Gates is talking about. Way worse than anything we have here in the U.S. and have had for a long time. That stuff does exist. So what? Don't let the people exist? Here's the issue. If you find the deepest uh, areas of poverty and these people stop having kids, let's say all of those communities just cease to exist in 50 years. There will still be poverty because poverty is relative. Right. Poor people in the U.S. today have air conditioning, clean water, refrigerators. Go back to like 1913. I don't think they had refrigeration in 1913 at all. I think they brought ice blocks on ships covered in sawdust. I don't uh, I don't know the year refrigeration was invented, but a poor person today in the United States has better dental care than Rockefeller did because we didn't have the technology. So you take you, you follow the logical conclusion here. If all of the poorest people in Africa cease to exist because people like Bill Gates encourage them not to have kids and then they don't and then that's it. Then who becomes poor? 
Well, while the rest of us will be enjoying uh, um, flying cars or whatever, there are going to be people who don't have that. And they're going to say, look at these poor people. They can't even fly. I suppose the idea is one way to eliminate poverty is to make everyone poor. Because if poverty is relative and everyone's at the same income level, they'll be like, no one's poor. That's just the level income is, right? And it feels like that's where we're going. Financial Times says global population growth hits lowest rate since 1950 uh, from July 11th, 2022. So let me lay it out for you. A bunch of global elites are saying there's too many people, particularly in Africa. A major food crisis hits, affecting particularly sub-Saharan Africa, where their concern is the most. And now global population, which was expected to explode, is at its lowest rate since the 1950s. Look, I think there's too many people. That's my opinion. Um, I think cities are overpopulated. I think there are many areas that aren't overpopulated. And if people spread out from cities, it would alleviate a lot of the problems we're facing. I think a lot of the problems we find with pollution come from the concentration of pollution and that the earth is capable of absorbing a lot of human refuse, as it were, both biological and physical from, you know, uh, the creation of products. But it's better if it's dispersed. It's like, I'll put it this way, a bed of nails. A bed of nails spread out is you can lay on it. A single nail concentrated to a point will puncture you, you if you try and step on it. If you took a whole bunch of small lasers and you turned them on and they are pointed at wood or something, it's not going to burst into flames. But if you point every laser to the same spot, then you're going to get a fire. Hyper-concentrating everything into a single point creates destruction. So we see in these big cities, you know, mercury and carbon, nuclear waste, even things like that. And it's bad. And it's bad and it's polluting the environment and it's hard for the earth to absorb and dissipate all of that because it's hyper concentrated. If we were to break down the cities and move people out of them, I think the planet can actually handle substantially more people. Well, it's another thing we're actually seeing. So it's interesting. Nonetheless, I wonder if it's a natural consequence when the pollution gets too bad. Weak people start to die off. Strong people say, I don't want to live like this. Move away from cities. It doesn't need to be a conspiracy. It can just be the way things go because it's the logical conclusion. I moved out of the city because violence. Why was there violence? Population density had gotten to a point where a cop couldn't even fart without someone smashing a window. I know I'm exaggerating, but we had something like nine unarmed black men being killed, resulting in widespread national rioting. I mean, it was one guy for the most part. And it's bad that it happened. But think about the margin of error with hundreds of millions of police interactions. The amount of people who are who are wrongly killed drops is, is going down. But still, it doesn't matter. Population density makes city living untenable. And so I think it's, it's potentially it's a, it's a natural consequence of what's happening. That when there's a food, there's a war, when there is a food crisis, when there's a pandemic, the food goes to the strong, the strong survive and the weak don't. I think that's it. But for all of you, I know it probably means very little other than your, your costs are skyrocketing. I went to the grocery store, you know, it was like, wow, the prices have gone up. It's crazy, man. You know, I, I talked about this a, a while ago last year about food shortages, the cost of mayonnaise. We had Mayo Gate when the left attacked a restaurant because they said their mayonnaise was expensive. And uh, I went to the grocery store and filling up a grocery cart was more than it was in the past few months. If you have U.S. dollars in the bank, they're losing value. You are losing buying power. So what do you do? Man, I'll tell you this. We're trying to run a business. We want to keep a certain amount of cash on hand to make sure we can pay our employees as we expand the company. The problem is every month we set on U.S. dollars, the value of those dollars go down. And so that means like 
we got to give people raises. And so we're trying to figure out how we can do this because the company isn't, isn't expanding fast enough. We've got to find ways to bring more revenue in if we're going to pay people more money. But we just can't. If we, if we bring in more members, if we produce more content and we sell more, we make more money, then we have to use that more money just to pay for uh, uh, giving people living, uh, living wage, uh, or I should say inflationary um, increases. So then what, what can we do? We can charge more for memberships. Daily Wire charges 12 bucks. We charge 10. They've got more content than us, mind you. And I'm wondering if like we need to just bump up things to a couple bucks to deal with this stuff. But then what happens for you guys? Now you need more money because like, I can't afford the things I want. It is very difficult. Inflation across the board. We got to figure it out, man. In the end, I suppose the end result is going to be the people who are strong enough to make it through will. And if this continues, the people who aren't strong will struggle and they won't make it. They won't have kids. Population growth is going to drop dramatically. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. For all the man's faults, I, I just completely understand why people love Donald Trump. I just do. I also understand why people don't like Donald Trump. And it can be exemplified and summarized in this quote. He could have made Elon Musk, quote, drop to his knees and beg. Okay, I got to put that one in the uh, in the title of this video somehow. The Daily Mail reports Trump says he could have made Elon Musk drop to his knees and beg for subsidies for his driverless cars that crash and rocket ships to nowhere when he was president. Tells him to focus on getting out of the Twitter mess. Elon Musk has responded saying LMAO. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the roast master. I'm sorry. He is a roast master. The dude should host celebrity roasts because he knows how to do it. Daily Mail reports. Ex-President Donald Trump has escalated his war of words with the world's wealthiest man, Elon Musk, in a series of messages on Truth Social. On the right wing social media platform, Trump recalled the many times that Musk visited the White House between 2016 and 2020. Trump wrote, when Elon Musk came to the White House asking me for help, on all of his many subsidized projects, whether it's his electric cars that don't drive. Well, let me read the actual truth. He says, when Elon Musk came to the White House asking me for help on all of his many subsidized projects, whether it's electric cars that don't drive long enough, driverless cars that crash, or rocket ships to nowhere, without which subsidies he'd be worthless, and telling me how he was a big Trump fan and Republican, I could have said, drop to your knees and beg, and he would have done it. Bravo, good sir Trump. Bravo. Um, look, I don't agree with Trump. I just think it's funny. It is funny. Anybody who says it's not funny is lying. I don't think he's right. Um, I think he's right in a certain respect. You know, Elon Musk getting subsidies and deals and things like that. But I'm just going to have to come out and say it. I own a Tesla. Um, and there's no excuse for you gas guzzlers to even drive a car. Why don't you just, I'm just kidding. But uh, you, you saw the Democrats be like, just buy an electric car. No, I, I have a Tesla. It's uh, relative to the cost of cars today. It's actually it is more expensive. But man, inflation is through the roof. But anyway, I digress. They're the best. They, they really are. I've looked at some other electric vehicles. We wanted to get an electric car, the Hyundai Ionic for uh, Timcast, so we could pick up guests, short trips to the hotels and stuff with the electric car because it's cheaper. And then airport and longer runs with gas. But we couldn't get one. But looking at the specs, I got to be honest, Tesla cars are just legit driverless cars that crash. Once again, he's referring to the same thing. And uh, they do. 
but they're not publicly available. So again, it's funny, but I got to give it to them on the rocket ships to nowhere because way to downplay one of the most important advances in rocket science. Yes, Elon Musk launches rockets that don't go anywhere. They just come back and land back on a platform. So while I can certainly say Trump is wrong about this, I find it absolutely hilarious. He goes on to say now Elon should focus on getting himself out of the Twitter mess because he could owe $44 billion for something that's perhaps worthless. Also, lots of competition for electric cars. P.S. Why was Elon allowed to break the $15 million stock purchase barrier on Twitter without any reporting? This is a very serious breach. Have fun, Elon and Jack. Go to it. Trump, Jack Dorsey is not at Twitter anymore. So again, I'll tell you exactly why people love Donald Trump, because the tweet was just it was funny. It was Trump smacking down someone who was critical of him, pushing back. Now, Donald Trump called Elon a BS artist first. I think that's how it started, because Elon uh, failed to buy Twitter. And then Trump said, see, I told you he wasn't going to buy it. And it's because Trump wants to promote truth social. Uh, admittedly, the engagement on Truth Social is legit. It's it's hefty. Makes you wonder about the bot accounts on Twitter. So I would just say to Elon and Trump, you must stop fighting. We like both of you for different reasons. But for the exact same reasons, I understand why a lot of people don't like Donald Trump. It was a crass, derogatory tweet that accomplishes nothing. Whatever, man. Grow up. Grow a spine. Sometimes people say things and it's whatever. The ex-president wasn't going to let Musk off the hook with regard to the billionaire's controversial decision to pull out of his $44 billion acquisition of Twitter. Elon Musk responded, saying LMAO, and then posting a meme of Abe Simpson yelling at Cloud. Oh, man, I love this timeline. Now, it's true. Elon Musk is being sued by Twitter. That was the other big news that we should get into. And Donald Trump is roasting him over it because... Elon Musk said Donald Trump should bow out. This is how amazing everything is right now. I just I just absolutely love this. Not only do I get to show you. Oh, come on. Are you going to allow me to zoom in here? All right, that'll work. Uh, not only do I get to talk about Donald Trump insulting Elon Musk in a rather funny way. Elon Musk brings us the meme driven lawsuit for the books. Thanks, TechCrunch Plus. I love how everything is plus like Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, TechCrunch Plus, Daily Wire Plus. We were talking about TimCast.com. I'm, I'm having a good, I'm in a good mood with these stories. They're hilarious. But uh, go, to, go to TimCast.com and support our work. Become a member. We've got a ton of exclusive comment, uh, content coming your way. And we're going to be launching it as a um, streaming video on demand service with a bunch of shows. Really excited for it. I'm just excited to make shows that, you know, we will deliver to people who want to pay for them. But, uh, but anyway, I was talking about how like, everyone is doing plus, and I'm like, let's just do TimCast minus. It's actually worse than the free stuff you get. No, no, it's not actually worse. It's great. But I'm like, well, just call it TimCast. I don't know. We don't need to put a plus on it. It's so weird. Anyway, I digress. It's because I saw the TechCrunch plus thing. When Elon Musk announced his intention to terminate his $44 billion bid for Twitter, the social media company didn't give up easily. Today, Twitter sued the SpaceX and Tesla CEO for refusing to uphold his contractual obligation to buy the platform. The company's lawyers claim that Musk's concerns about Twitter's bot numbers are Ill- Ill- illegitimate. When you agree to buy a slow-growing social media platform for more than it's worth, there's no takesies-backsies. Take-backsies? Unless the company seriously misrepresented itself. Even though Twitter handed over its firehose of internal data, Musk claimed the trove of information wasn't sufficient. 
So he extended his ongoing public tantrum over Twitter bots, which culminated in his declaration that the deal was off. Now, I don't completely trust Elon Musk on this one. I love how NBC writes an article and they're like, Tim Pool claims that Elon Musk is playing 4D chess. And I was like, no, Elon is claiming he's playing 4D chess. These people apparently don't know what news reporting is. I am not telling you what when they say something, I'm telling you what people are talking about. When I give you my opinion, I will say I. I don't think Elon is playing 4D chess necessarily, but fine. It's technically the truth. What I said was, Considering Elon Musk's successes, it's likely he knows what he's doing, but it might not be 4D chess. He may just be going with the flow. Anyway, as Twitter wrote in its lawsuit against the erratic billionaire, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value and walk away. In response to the lawsuit, Musk tweeted, oh, the irony. Anyone with a Twitter account, even the bots, has seen that Musk has been tweeting through it. Based on the memes he's posted, it was, wasn't shocking at all that he was getting cold feet about his $44 billion impulse buy, especially in light of the stock market turndown. I want to pause right there and just say, yeah, that might be it. Let me tell you guys and try and break this down, uh, try and break it down for the layman. I'm sure most of you can follow. Uh, let's say Elon Musk has 100 shares of Tesla. He doesn't, he has way more, but let's say 100 shares. Let's say each share is a dollar. Let's say, or let's say each share is a billion dollars, whatever. He wants to buy Twitter for $44 billion. He's personally committed $33.5 billion of his money, and then the rest was going to be financed through debt and other, other, um, uh, other investors. So that means he's got to liquidate 33.5 shares in his company. But then the market gets smacked down. Here's the problem. Now he's, he's got 100 shares, but they're only worth half a billion dollars. This means he would need 67 shares, liquidating double of his holding to buy Twitter. Now, that's not one for one math. But the point is, Elon Musk is going to lose more shares in Tesla to cover the $33.5 billion than he would have at the start of this deal. So perhaps it is just him playing some game in an effort to reduce the cost and save himself some money. Here's, 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 the, here's the issue. It's, it's entirely possible that Elon screwed up. You know, he's rich based on shares he doesn't have access to. He may be a smart guy, but doesn't mean he's a perfect guy. And maybe he screwed up. Maybe he said, I want to make this bet. Maybe he thought he was going to buy Twitter before things got salty and went sour in the market. But then it did. All that it really matters is that Twitter's value went down and so did Tesla. But the amount he agreed to pay stayed the same, meaning his overall expense via stock has skyrocketed. It could be Elon Musk screwed this one up bad. Could also be that Elon Musk is a guy who's talked about a coming recession for some time. He planned on doing the sale on 420. So uh, maybe he knows what he's doing. Honestly, I don't know, man. They're going to say Twitter's lawyers agreed. In his press release announcing the deal on April 25th, 2022, Musk raised a clarion call to defeat the spam bots. But when the market declined and the fixed price deal became less attractive, Musk shifted his narrative, suddenly demanding verification that spam was not a serious problem on Twitter's platform uh, and claiming a burning need to conduct diligence he had expressly forsworn. But that that doesn't really matter all that much. Now, it could be this. Elon Musk thought that by securing this deal at $54, people would rush to buy the stock, bumping it up above $54. So um, 
I'll put it this way. Joe Rogan signed a deal with Spotify. Remember that? And after the deal was was announced, Spotify's stock jumped something like 7%. Now, I don't know if Joe Rogan got any equity in that deal. Maybe he got some shares or something. Maybe not. No idea. But think about it this way. If you were going to do a deal with a company and you were going to get shares in that company or own the company outright, you'd be hoping that if I buy this company for 100 bucks, the value of the company rises to 150 Elon Musk may have been hoping that by announcing he'd buy the company, making an offer, he thought the market would respond by saying Elon will make the company more valuable. And thus, even though he's going to secure the, the company at $54, people may have been willing to buy it at $55 or, or $60, thinking after he buys it, the value will skyrocket. But that didn't happen. Because Twitter's fake. The stock went down. Then the market took a hit. And now Elon is left holding the bag. And he's got to find a way out. It could be the case. They're going to say, how do you prove that an extremely online mega wealthy troll is trying to dupe you? You show the receipts. And the receipts in this case happen to be memes. Twitter's lawsuit against Musk has more pictures than your standard legal filing. Throughout the 62-page document, the plaintiff shares several images of Musk's tweets, mostly memes about the acquisition, to prove that he has acted in bad faith. Of course, they included the poop emoji that Musk tweeted CEO Parag Agrawal when he attempted to answer the mogul spam inquiries. Parag Agrawal says we've suspended over half a million spam accounts every day. Usually before any of you see them on Twitter, we also lock millions of accounts each week that we suspect of being spam if they can't pass human verification challenges, captures, phone verification, etc. Musk responded with the poop emoji. Okay, okay. Look. I'm going to point this out. It's a meme laden lawsuit. It's funny, but um, Elon has he might have to buy Twitter so we can sit here and, and, and pontificate all day and night about what Musk wanted to do. But in the end, it seems like he will buy Twitter. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus as part of the agreement between Musk and Twitter, Musk is in, viol- uh, Musk is in violation if he disparages the platform in relation to the, the, the suit, not just disparaging the platform. Read the, the, the deal. It said tr- uh, that Elon Musk can talk about the suit, but not disparage people in, in doing so. So he's allowed to insult people. He's just not allowed to say, here's the deal we're doing. This guy sucks. According to Twitter, the poop emoji does indeed count as disparagement, but the platform's lawyers pulled several more tweets to make their case. In two other instances, Musk tags the SEC's Twitter account and calls upon them to investigate Twitter's financial disclosures, which have claimed that more than 95% of monetizable daily active users are humans. As the lawsuit reads, Musk's conduct simply confirms that he wants to escape the binding contract he freely signed and to damage Twitter in the process. Here are some uh, some photos where Elon Musk is saying, hello, SEC Gov, anyone home? Twitter's lawyers also included a meme that Musk posted just yesterday, which shows the billionaire laughing alongside text, making fun of the platform. They said, I couldn't buy Twitter. Then they wouldn't disclose bot info. 
Now they want to force me to buy Twitter in court. Now they have to disclose bot info in court. Then he tweeted a meme of Chuck Norris playing chess and declared Chuckmate. It is Chuck Norris playing chess against a full board, but he only has a pawn. Like, he's so good, he will beat you with a single pawn. Does Elon Musk understand that Chuck Norris memes haven't been funny since before Tesla manufactured its first car? Are you, you TechCrunch, seriously, with the opinion? Come on, spare me. Perhaps he's too busy single-handedly increasing the U.S. birth rate. Bravo on that one, however, to keep up with pop culture. Regardless, Twitter used these memes to argue that Musk sees his hugely impactful acquisition as an elaborate joke. I love it. I'm sitting here just thinking things are getting funnier and fun. Yeah, I like Elon Musk. You know, he's, he's, he's done a lot of bad things. He's, you got to criticize him for a lot, but at least he's shaking things up. They say this is, from, this is far from the first time we've seen memes at the courtroom. In 2013, the creators of the memes Keyboard Cat and Nyan Cat earned a settlement after suing Warner Brothers for unauthorized use of their copyright in a video game. That incident alone was almost 10 years ago. Now, even your tea-spilling group chats can be subpoenaed and prominently displayed in the New York Times featured. It's not even the first time that Musk has gotten in serious legal trouble for his bad jokes. In 2018, Musk tweeted that he was considering taking Tesla private for 420 a share and had already secured funding. Of course, he was just making a low-hanging weed joke. So the SEC charged Musk with fraud over false and misleading tweets. As a result, Musk stepped down as Tesla board chairman. The company paid a $20 million fine after making an agreement with the SEC. He now must have tweets about Tesla proofread by lawyers turned Twitter sitters. He was trying to make a 420 joke. That was it. And people were like, wow, is that is that for real? He was kidding. Doesn't matter. You play these games, you find out. This is, however, the first time that memes will play a role in determining the fate of a massive corporate acquisition. We hope the judges at the Delaware Court of Chancery have fun. And I would just like to say good news to all of those who want Elon Musk to take over Twitter. It's probably going to happen. Whether it's because Elon Musk is engaged in 4D chess or if it's because Elon screwed up and now he's going to be forced to buy the platform. Look, I don't care. If Elon Musk made a mistake, I don't care. If Elon Musk loses billions of dollars, I don't care. If Elon Musk is playing 4D chess and has just tricked Twitter, I literally don't care. I care about things that are more important than all of this. I can certainly entertain the fun of the jokes. And it's fun to see life get a little bit more exciting, like when Elon posts memes of Chuck Norris. It's hilarious. I enjoy it. Or Donald Trump says that he could have made Elon Musk drop to his knees and beg. Ha ha ha. What I care about is that we solve the crisis that's happening in this country with the, the political landscape, that we allow people to speak their minds, that we end the censorship. Man, you guys know that the other day, um, Jamie Raskin of the January 6th committee pulled a clip. He posted a clip of me out of context alongside ardent Trump supporters saying red wedding and kick down the door. In the video clip of me, I'm literally just reading a news article. This is the problem. When you ban people like Alex Jones, you make it more difficult for Alex Jones to explain what are his intentions. Fortunately for me, I still have a platform on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook to counter the lies of the January 6th committee. But think about the people who can't. On January 6th, Alex Jones was at the Capitol saying, do not go in, leave. He said it was a trap. It was a psyop. They were going to get you. Well, whether he was right or not, it certainly made all the Trump supporters look really bad. They shouldn't have done it. But, but Alex Jones's ability to tweet 
on this platform to engage with this public conversation was removed. And why? Because Twitter claimed he made some, he made a post that was like, it was innuendo, it was a metaphor, but it was too literal. We don't care. We can't play these games, man. We need to be able to make jokes and make references and allow context to matter. Y'all know the story of Count Dankula. He did a joke on Twitter about his, his, his girlfriend's pug being a Nazi, and they arrested him over it. Context matters. So look, after all is said and done, Donald Trump can say whatever he wants. Elon Musk can post whatever he wants. We need Elon Musk to take this platform over. So here's what I'm going to say. Thank you, Twitter. Thank you, Twitter. I'll say it again. Thank you for suing Elon. Because if this forces Elon to buy the platform, we are all better off. Maybe we won't be best off. Maybe things won't be perfect, but Elon in charge is better than what's happening now. So I wonder what the real issues are. Maybe Elon Musk is trying to save himself some money. That seems really likely. And it seems likely this lawsuit will result in Elon Musk saving himself money. Elon Musk might kick back at the lawsuit and say, okay, I'll give you $35 billion for your platform. And Twitter will say, no, you agreed to X. And he'll say, then we will have a lawsuit. I will file discovery and we'll let the court decide. The court might force a settlement. This is what people don't understand. They seem to think that you can sue someone and that if you win, you win. Mm, no, the judge can throw it out. The judge can look at Twitter's lawsuit and say, I don't care. And Twitter can have to appeal or say what and then try and refile or whatever. Or the judge can go to Twitter and say, I am instructing you to reach a settlement agreement with Elon Musk. Come back in a month and let me know how it goes. Elon Musk can say no. Or Elon Musk can then uh, file a, 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 a something with the court and be like, we offered them a good deal, but they won't take it. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. And everyone thinks they're the experts on the law. I'm not. I've seen a lot of people break down Twitter's lawsuit cheering for it. I've seen a lot of people break down Twitter's lawsuit claiming it's bunk and nonsense. I've seen people claim that Elon is correct about the bots and that Twitter outright said they weren't going to give him the information. Yo, hands down, they did. The CEO said, we can't reveal some of this information because it's private. And we, oh, oh, there you go. And Elon Musk, I, I doubt the dude is a moron. I think he's got a plan. But in the end, whatever, whatever. Twitter sucks. Truth Social in many ways is better, but I don't know what the answers are. What I do know is that censorship is a huge problem. What I do know is that Twitter is extremely biased. What I don't know is if Elon is going to save the day. I hope Twitter wins. I'll say it again. I hope Twitter wins. And I hope Elon is forced to buy the platform because I do like him better. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.